Under Armour. You know, Scott, when I think of Under Armour, I think of I think of football jerseys. I think of baseball really uniforms. Tight, well, I just think spandex like stuff. No, that might be what you're thinking about, Scott. <laughs> I'm thinking about functional gear. I mean, well, stuff yeah. that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why are you thinking about spandex? I don't know. <laughs> I look I look much fitter when I'm when I'm uh, sucking my gut in and I'm wearing um, tight Under Armour gear. Well, now Under Armour lets you function well on the trail too because they've entered the trail space. And Under Armour has done it in a big way by sponsoring the Under Armour Mountain Running Series. We've already had. One of the three competitions back at the end of July at Mount Bachelor, um, and we have two more coming up. One at the end of this month in August, uh, between the 18th and the 20th, and that is going to be in Vermont at Killington, Vermont. And then another one at the end of September in Colorado. And more than just competitions, right? They're, they're, they're gatherings, trail gatherings with, with multiple distance and races from 5K. There's seven different distances from 5K all the way up to 50K. You can get more information by going to uamountainrunning.com. And if you enter the code TRNATION, you get 20% off a registration fee. And while you're signing up for the race, check out their new shoes, the Horizon. Yeah, they have a family of Horizon trail running shoes. Made for the trail. They've uh, got their eye on the ball. Get a 20% discount on the Mountain Running Series. They have two coming up at the end of this month and the end of next month. Go to un- uamountainrunning.com and enter the code TRNATION. Healthiq.com slash TRN. Hey, HealthIQ, they're a, a group that's been put together to bring healthy runners like us in front of insurance policies, life insurance, to get a great deal. Right. And it, it's proven that, that people that are active live longer, so they should get the lowest rates. You don't want to be thrown into the donut eaters and the smokers and those couch surfers. You want to be put in with the trail runners, and that's what this risk pool is all about. If you go to healthiq.com slash TRN, you can sign up for um, a regular health quiz, and that's what we're going to do right now, Don. I love these things, Scott. Yeah, I, I, I love them, too. Uh, today's quiz is called Food Nutrients, Best Way to Eat Greens. So okay. here's your first question, Freeman. Right. A salad made of raw cabbage is called? Raw cabbage. Raw cabbage Got is it. called A, Caesar salad. No. B, coleslaw. Yeah. C, chef salad. No. Uh, D, cob salad. Oh, that's easy. That's coleslaw, Scott. Okay, second question. And you were correct, by the way. Cob, uh, coleslaw. Blank is a common ingredient in Greek salads. Greek salad. This is the common ingredient. A, Parmesan cheese. Okay. B, Swiss cheese. No. C, blue cheese. No. Or D, feta cheese. Oh, it's feta cheese. That's very Greek. Feta cheese. And you are correct. I'm two for two. Let's keep last, it rolling. Last question. Which of the following has the lowest amount of fiber? Ooh, okay. This is a good one. Lowest amount of fiber. A, iceberg lettuce. Mm. B, arugula. C, Romaine lettuce or D, spinach? The poor iceberg lettuce. Lowest on the totem pole for nutritional value. I'm going to go iceberg. Iceberg lettuce is 96% water and has less than one gram of fiber per 100 grams. Romaine, arugula, and spinach have about twice the fiber. I mean, iceberg lettuce. You might as well just throw away your bottles and carry a, a head of lettuce down the trail. You know, I had iceberg lettuce for dinner last night. It's good, though. 
And no, it was terrible. Oh, well, you I've, just, get, I've been used to eating the mixed greens with a lot of different stuff. Yeah. And iceberg tasted tasteless. <laughs> well, it gets, except, except for the good uh, balsamic vinegar I put on well, it. Well, that's it. If you go to healthiq.com slash TRN, you can find good rates on life insurance from the top providers because you're an active athlete. Tailwind Nutrition. You know, Don, you have a big uh, race coming up, big 200-mile race. You're going to be out on that trail for 70-plus hours. Probably closer to 80, my friend. (laughs) I want to know you started to pack for that race. What flavor or flavors of Tailwind are you going to be taking? I have the orange, Mm -hmm. Mandarin orange, and I have the lemon already packed away. Mm -hmm. I'm relying on you, Scott, because I think you have some green tea. Are you out of green tea? I'm out. Okay, I have some green tea. I will bring the green tea. Yeah, it is my favorite and one of the very, very, very best. And since you're my crew, I'm just going to rely on you. Are you going to be consuming any of the um, caffeinated tailwinds on this race? You know, I am. I'm going to use it when I need it. There's going to be times that uh, I want to kind of save that for when I'm in a low spot. I don't want to use it when I'm feeling good. So I, I like to use the caffeinated stuff to bring me back up. That's the beauty of Tailwind is they have some that are non-caffeinated and some that are, and they call them buzzes. <laughs> and one of the great things about that Tailwind Nutrition is the electrolytes are already woven into the ingredients. You don't it's have to worry the, about managing that. It's got the calories. It's got the electrolytes. It, it, it's the right type of calories, so it doesn't uh, give you those gut bombs that other uh, sugars, simple sugars, can give you. Simply pour, shake, and go. Tailwindnutrition.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of the wide, worldwide ultra running community, you are listening to nothing less than the greatest trail running nation podcast on earth. It is the Trail Runner Nation podcast with me, a complete imposter here in London, England, and your two real hosts over there with a skeleton behind them very early morning in the studio. It's Scott and Dom. All right. Are we ready? Yeah. There's a bunch of, like, old brothel hookers, like, buried out here. But I know it's on the upper edge, and you guys have won a couple of awards. And I've never prepped for a podcast ever. Oh, that's what you're doing. <laughs> okay, we'll clear that up. That will, our, our, the, the group of the nation and podcast downloaders are very sophisticated. <laughs> they are. They're unlike any other group out there. They're tolerant. They, they uh, ignore our many imperfections, and they'll be able to substitute the word. No problem. <laughs> they will. All right. All right. Are we ready? Yeah. It's all good. Welcome to another edition of Trail Runner Nation, and we've just gone through a time warp or some kind of some kind of uh, Wi-Fi zone of of some kind because this computer just shut down. I close the lid, and boom! Uh, automatically appears Scott War, Michelle Barton, Mayo Cernak, and Jason Slarb are on my screen, and we're going to do a podcast. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Hello. Yes, <laughs> How's that for an introduction? But we want to give, we want to do a little bit better than that. Uh, Scott War is in a closet in Utah. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. right, Scott? I'm in a closet. Yeah. I'm in Studio G. Uh, Mayo, where are you? I'm Calgary, Canada, right now, in my house. He he looks like he's in a bike shop. Yeah, I know. Yeah. In the background. Like, you know, there's a bunch of training tools. And, J- and Jason, where are you? I'm at my cabin in Durango, Colorado. Oh, don't give us an address. That sounds very good. And what's your elevation there? What's your elevation there? 
My elevation is 8,000 and I think 50. With my GPS coordinate system, I can find you. So that sounds good. And Michelle, <laughs> wh where are you? I'm at Badlands. It's a secret location in Laguna Niguel, that, California. That sounds good. Very close why did to you Starbucks. Why? Is, that why, is that why you picked Badlands? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't tell. Do they, no, does Starbucks no. have a location in Badlands? <laughs> no, not yet. The, the reason for this podcast is it's part of the UTMB extravaganza, as Michelle yep. named it. We had uh, Sally McRae and Tim Tolfson on to talk uh -huh. a little bit about some of the nuances, some of the differences in that race. And now we're talking to a couple of runners that are going to actually run it. And Jason, in mm -hmm. fact, has run it before. Jason Slarb, who we know for many races around here, in fact, is a first-place finisher at Hard Rock, the only one to come through hand-in-hand -hand with Kelly and Jornet. Mm -hmm. I'd like to learn a little bit more of that. Were you holding him back or holding on to him? How did that work out? <laughs> yeah, were, were, you were holding his hand. Were you pulling him back? <laughs> or, 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 was he, or was he hanging on to you? That may be more like it. Yeah, well, it was basically Go from ahead, like Jason. mile 65 to 91, I, I pondered that question and kind of figured out that somehow the stars aligned and we, we were actually right on um, kind of a similar pace and, and pushing each other through through highs and lows that, that both of us went through and and then decided to like push together uh, officially the last nine miles. So that, that's the, the short answer. Uh, that's a good answer, and and uh, that's what happens with people out out on the trail. They become fast friends, and they become they become allies and comrades through some of the obstacles that are out there. And it's nice to know the people up front that are pushing the envelope on the front end of the race work just like the rest of us in the middle and the back of the pack. We're all trail runners, Scott. You know, I, recently there's been a few races where that's happened, and I know it's happened in the past, but this year there's been a few races where. Uh, the, the the winners have crossed the finish line at the same time. And and I've seen some derogatory comments and some people that are, you know, a little bit ticked off by that. I don't I don't understand why. Um, but did you get any any uh, bad press or bad comments, Jason, by doing that? Um, you know, I, I'm maybe not quite as involved in, in all the media of of. Uh, of uh, ultra running as maybe I should be, but you know I talked to Ian Corliss and and he kind of hinted or not hinted, but he basically you know kind of directed that like he would have at that moment liked to have seen you know one person finish you know first and and but after talking with him and doing a little show with him, you know he he understood the circumstances and and how it played out. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of like, oh, yeah, that, that's really cool. I think, you know, just people just like casually following, you know, you just you want to see a winner. Uh, when I entered the race, even when I saw Killian, you know, and I caught up to him at mile 65, I was kind of like, don't you dare like use me as entertainment. Like, I mean, I had that mm -hmm. kind of attitude, yeah. you know, because, you know, especially with Killian and his situation of, of usually not being challenged that much in a lot of races. But, uh, you know, so I, I did get some, I, I, I heard about me 
being talked about, I guess, in as in people saying that they, you know, what, that that's I would have liked to seen who who really would have won and et cetera, et cetera. But I think, um, you know, there maybe there are circumstances where it's like too friendly and you're just having fun and like, hey, it's a race. But that wasn't the case in this situation. And you know, just like this year, if you watch Hard Rock, you know, Killian did run with a number of people. And, you know, did enjoy that. But like when it was time, you know, and he felt like, like he was in a position to run faster, he did. So I, I kind of think that I'm, I'm making some assumptions, but I think that, that that's what happened. And and it just happened to be a, a really special, unique situation for us. So that that would be my answer. But, you know, I did hear some some people talking about that being like, oh, you know, that's that's silly. Why didn't he just race or why didn't Killian win? You know, that kind of thing. No, you know, I, I, I take the opposite view. I, I love yeah. it. I think it's fantastic that that two runners can can team up and, and perhaps finish faster than they would have independently. And I think that's probably part of the, the spirit or the conversation that goes through, at least when I'm running with somebody. It's like, dude, you have helped me get through these tough spots. I, I owe this race to you, and I acknowledge that. And, and let's go through this together. Let's yeah. not try to hammer each other out this last two miles. I'm here because of you, and you're here because of me. So let's cross this together. And I like that type of spirit, and I think it is the spirit of the trail. And uh, I endorse it. And I'm glad you did that. It's a great example. Yeah, and you know, I two agree. little bit more points is that at mile nine, he asked, "If you want to go forward, you go." Like he he said, "Go." I I you know, like I feel like we're so equally yoked that you know now you you go for it. And I said, I had turned around and said the same thing back to him. And then we decided, hey, let's go for this. And, you know, you know, by the way, it was the second fastest time ever. And I know since Skaggs' time kind of fell and Killian's just, you know, demolished that or whatever, that people don't notice the times as much maybe. But, you know, 22.57, you know, it was only like 16 minutes off his record. And, you know, it was 30 minutes ahead of Kyle's, which stood for so damn long and which I like bowed down to and had huge respect for as well. You know, so we weren't like just – having a good time and like, you know, kind of jogging it in at all either. <laughs> good stuff. So UTMB that's coming up. Now you've been there before, um, Jason and correct. How many times have you run that race? I ran it in 2014 and, and I, you know, was fourth behind Francois Iker and Toffel. And, uh, then last year I tried to do, you know, like a five week, five weeks, six and a half day kind of comeback and dropped it 38 K. So those are my two okay. UTMB experiences. Nice. But nice. That and was my, so, uh, go ahead. You know, like, I feel like that maybe happened to Jason at UTMB because like of that super strong, hard effort at hard rock with Killian, like a few weeks before, like he's a human being, like there's no way that like, honestly, you can recover that quick to bang out like another one of the toughest hundred milers in the universe. So that had to play a part. Yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real juggle. And I thought I, you know, I took almost 12 days off and I kind of was feeling good and I started training and I went straight to Europe. 36 hours after hard rock and yeah. I kind of maybe had a little bit too much fun with running. And they also stay with John Katz and tropical John Medinger there. And, uh, mm -hmm. they, they fed me lots of wine and, uh, the whole, you know, we'll talk, you know, more about UTMB. Uh, there is a lot of hype. 
There's a lot of excitement. There's some press conferences. There's special yeah. music. There's, there's a salon, they call it, like a, a marathon expo for like four days. Right. And I like was helping out with Terraware with, with, you know, Paul and his race. And, and I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. I had Felix with me. Mm-hmm. And by the time, like 6 p.m. Friday, August, whatever, mm-hmm. I was exhausted and had a headache. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, and then this year when I was, you know, getting ready for hard rock, I, you know, emailed Dave Mackey, Carl Meltzer. I talked to, um, some other kind of legendary people that I really respect. And I said, it's seven weeks this year. Should I, should I, should I even entertain this? I'm signed up for TDS. You know, I might do grand raid diagonal to foo. And they were like, go for it. You know, maybe they're mm-hmm. a bit too old or whatever. And, but, uh, I plan on not doing it, but. Lo and behold, you know, I basically had one day with the flu this year at Hard Rock, and now oh. I get to have like a whole season focused on UTMB. So that's where it is now. Nice, nice. Now, Mayo, you're going to the UTMB for your very first time, and I imagine mm-hmm. you have a lot of things that are going in your mind. And we have a guy right up here, and I know you talk to him offline, and you guys are friends. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the things that you anticipate about this race coming up that's going to be different for you or challenging for you or that you want to prepare for? What are the things going through your mind? And then, Jason, you listen to these and kind of give some feedback to this the first-time runner coming through because he's a strong runner. He's going to do well. He's focused and he's ready. So what are you thinking about, yep. Maya? Well, first, uh, I, I have to say uh, thank you. You guys put me on the podcast with all these heavy hitters like uh, Sally and <laughs> Tim and, uh, and Jason. So, you know, like I'm going to do my best, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's I'm going home. I'm going to Europe. It's the first time. I really don't know what to expect. I'm just kind of trying to put a puzzle together, what everybody said. So it's a lot of vertical and a uh, lot of time in the big alpine and try to, you know, get some legs uh, for those climbs and descents and all that stuff. So for sure, like I'm, I'm, I'm going into unknown and I should be good with the uh, time change because uh, I live in Canada 15 years and I never seems to adapt to chi- that transition in the time over here. So I'm just going back, you know, that's going to be fine. I have a hard time wake up here seven o'clock every morning. So yeah. And I love cheese and, uh, and all the, you know, all the meat on the aid station. I'm not a big fan of, uh gummy bears and and all those things so that that's that should work out well and the rest of it like i don't know like i have a million questions you know th- running through my head but i i should be saying something smart i'm not here to ask how uh utmv it's gonna be but uh, i have one major question actually and you might help me with that one before the race even start like how to position yourself in the, in the, in that group of people like you gotta be there early or you guys have some sort of a elite difference numbers where you're going to stay or how that work out. Like if you help me understand that, that would be great. That's for you, Jason. It doesn't <laughs> go to Scott, I or Michelle where we are, we'd be making something up. So you've been there. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll go to that last part there. Um, last year I, I showed up after you're supposed to show up. And just kind of ran up to the front real quick and turned around and watched the the, the, the little ceremonies they had. They had like a, a woman in a white dress with no shoes dancing around. It was real. But anyways, to answer your question, 
the first 10 K Mayo is, is on a bike path. Mm-hmm. Actually it is, it is through the roads for like maybe two K and then, you know, like for, for quite a while until you get to Les Uches, it's uh it's a nice wide bike path. That's basically kind of crushed gravel. And I don't think that there's any need to be in that front row, maybe even the first 100, you know, if, if as long as you're, you know, somewhere maybe between you know, like 50 to 200, that's fine. No, no, no. On- yeah, I, I, I hear you. I like, I'm not worried to be, uh, you know, like a first guy uh, starting from the line. But I see some videos on the YouTube when people is real, literally stuck somewhere for 45 minutes waiting for uh like single track to basically like it was all just packed up with the people and they was just sitting on the ground and waiting forever like maybe you guys in the front don't have that experience for but but people more in the meat pack or whatever you might end up it just seems to be kind of overcrowded in some spots yeah dude i i had to say i i was i was pretty close to the front on both years that i started and and i i don't know what it's like back there (laughs) Okay. So you start pretty fast, Jason. Like your your clip in the beginning, like whatever the first five ten k at the UTMB is pretty fast. You're saying? Yeah, you, yeah. I, I was running. I, you know, I I came from a road back. I mean, yeah, road background, and I ran in yeah. college. I ran, you know, I've run sub fifteen for five k, and and I I've right. in preparation for that that the you know two thousand fourteen. Um, you know, I was, I was, I, I can stay pretty aerobic at, you know, mm-hmm. six forty-five pace on mm-hmm. a flat, on a flat surface. So I, I don't, I don't get too scared about going fast there. And, you know, like Tony Anton, you know, Krupichka, he, he, yeah. he hung back quite a bit that year and then waited to the hills to go. But uh, it's kind of where, where you are comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. if you do speed work and you do, uh, you know, you do some tempos and you feel okay, you know, you know, running 7:30 or something. I think it's all right there. I don't think you lose too terribly much, because uh, yeah, it, it's just so smooth and easy. I mean, you know, that's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. yeah. When when it comes down to it, I mean, the the difference between first and second is not 15 seconds or 30 seconds, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, if you're back there a little ways, it actually may may play to your benefit. Oh, for sure. But it's 3,200 runners or so in the 100 miler, which seems like crazy. Do you ever run alone? Like you find yourself alone or it's always you passing, people passing, how that feels like. I can't imagine like we got 100 milers here. Sinister 7, I think, have 1,500 people and that's including relay. And you feel just like there is always something going on. You rarely find yourself uh, Mm -hmm. alone. You know, I've I've also ran Grand Raid Diagonal Defu, which has over two thousand people. I think it, mm. I, I think it might even have more than UTMB. I, somebody told me it was the biggest hundred mile trail race, but uh, it, it just depends on where you are. If you're in the middle, or or like you know, I think most likely, yeah, you'll have people around you most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you're one of the you know guys in the top ten then in that, you know, like last 30 or 40 miles or, you know, like uh, 50K, you know, I ran totally by myself until Gediminis, you know, kind of caught up to me and, and I kind of battled with him a little bit. But like after I mm. left Mike Foot, 
dropping into Switzerland, which is like after Courmayeur, so like maybe uh, 90K in, mm-hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't pass anybody and I didn't see anybody until the like a <laughs> second minute and I ran away from him. So it was just as alone and crazy as Hard Rock or, or Sinister Seven or whatever. But that's at the front, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah a little for bit sure. Different. And Jason, okay, so I have a question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Michelle, and then I'll ask you a question. Okay, Jason, I heard about that moment, you know, when you ran away from him, like you used your secret weapon that Vitargo wow. made, that mm-hmm. fiend powder, and then exactly. it was on, and you just like started flying because you were kind of leapfrogging back and forth with him. Yeah, I don't, I don't drink coffee ever. I don't uh-huh. drink Coke, pop, whatever. Uh, I don't have caffeine in my life, but uh, now I, I use these little tabs called Voke, and it's okay. an organic because uh, I, I, I haven't been able to get those since then. But uh, I, I, yeah. I take I take these little tablets, and I in almost every one of my races now, and I have it in my pack. And you know, in that last hour, if there's something scary that happens where I really want a time, I pop that, and like caffeine is. Caffeine is truly, I, I even avoid like uh, using, you know, anything like if I sometimes, you know, I'll use, you know, 90% Vitargo, but sometimes I'll mix something else. And I'll make sure there's not caffeine in there because I want that special cheat, you know, that's in my pocket, you know, and I'll in a hundred, you know, I'll have, mm-hmm. a, you know, the whole race just in case I'm having a low or something. But I mean, yeah. I usually only use it to finish hard. And that was a case where it, it was, it was partly mental and then partly the physical aspects of, of having that stimulant. I just went bonkers and, you know, made five, five minutes on him. Plus his knee was hurt or something like that, hurting him too. So, <laughs> right. Hey, you know that Michelle, that's a great question. And I like that, Thanks, that you have a, like a secret weapon, a silver bullet in your, in your pack that mentally you can pull it out and you say, am I ready for it? No, I'm not. I'm going to save it for bile 80 and then I'm going to take it, and then I'm going to feel great, and I'm going to blast through that. I just, I just think that is a great psychological edge. Now, the question I wanted to ask you know, before I interrupted Michelle. Oh, go ahead, Scott, and then I'll save my question I, 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 again. As long as, as long as we're on that, I'd like to know from Mayo and Michelle. Oh yeah. You guys have a secret weapon in your pack. Gosh, you know uh, I'm actually the opposite of Jason. Like the m- most coffee and the most caffeine and Red Bull I can handle is perfect. But no, I don't really have like a super secret thing, I would say. Yeah. Well, you, I, I have you a, could, Michelle. <laughs> Go ahead. I have a Red Bull I carry with me usually. And when it's some big climbs, like significant climbs, then I would stack it in my vest or running pack and, you know, just focus on the big climb and on the top of it, pop the Red Bull and kill it downhill. It's just, you know, like a half halftime, little little halftime in the middle of the match. Yeah, Good. yeah. It I, always I'll works. Too, uh, I'll bring a little snack, like some gummies or or like a really special, uh, like it can be a whole bunch of different things depending on the race and what I've got, you know, I brought with me. But I, I kind of right. keep that as a, a like maybe not stimulant because I want to save that for like making a big move or, you know, finishing hard. But I'll have like, you know, some uh, like honey sting or pomegranate mm. little tunes that i'm like okay if i'm having you know a hard time i'm gonna bust these out and really enjoy the taste of these from my regular fueling system and, yeah, and like kind of have like to a, look forward to exactly yeah yeah maybe not a secret weapon but a special like 
um, like encouragement tool, let's call it. <laughs> right, like <laughs> Milo okay, and I to. need to, um, there's this company called Exact Nutrition. It's from Canada and they have these amazing, you might like it because it's made from fruit and some of them have caffeine and they're so good. Like you really, really love the taste and you look forward to it. It's kind of like a gummy, but it's made with fruit and has caffeine. So not yeah. all of them have caffeine, but it's awesome. Something yeah. that I would want to eat, eat right now. Like yeah. That, oh, that's, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are deadly. You have to hide them. If you have a kids, they would eat them all. It's just so good. <laughs> yeah, they melt in your mouth. So They're like coated good. with sugar. <laughs> So we can all do that. We can we can take our favorite, whatever yeah. it is. We all have something favorite, right. and we can place it out there as a reward for making it to a certain spot. Just a, a an individual set goal that's important to to match goals as you're coming through. You've got a distance of fifty miles or hundred miles. You've got to break it up somehow, and a little treat like that can be part of that breaking up. We have landmarks like I got to cross a river or I'm going to get that hill done or I'm going to eat that whatever your special flavor is. That is a good strategy. Now, I would like to get to my question. If anybody has one, they'd like to jump in front of me. They can. <laughs> but I, I, I want to go back to the question that was brought up a moment ago was, do you think there should be limits to races? Like we, we, we were talking about 3,200 races, 3,200 runners, 2,000 runners, 1,200 runners, conga lines happening. Do you think there should be a limit to this to keep the competitive field moving quickly? Or, or how should we as a community look at this? More the merrier or better, smaller? What do you guys think? Mm. Michelle, go ahead. Michelle, do you have any thoughts on that? Or Mayo, Jason, Scott? I'm looking for answers from I, anybody. I mean, like, I've never done UTMB, but from what I hear, it's like the Olympics of 100 milers. And, it, like, you see the guys coming through the finish, and there's nothing like it. It just seems like the pinnacle of ultra running just seems amazing. And I mean, I'd love to be a part of that someday, but um, I mean, that's quite a, a good number of runners. And I know it all has to do with like permits and forest service and stuff. So it's, it has to vary. I don't think it's like ever really up to the race director. It's just up to whatever location that race happens to be in and, and the laws or regulations of the, that country or place i don't know i th i think it's cool like probably one of the biggest races i've been in is maybe like javelina for 100 miler and you're seeing people all the time then again it's like loops but mm. what do you guys think mile you're about to say something well i was i was uh i was thinking actually you know races like a hard rock and and really dose what it's hard to get in yeah there would be uh, pretty cool if they are twice a year or something. Like, keep it small, but more often. I don't know. They, they must be the way. Like, you know, you get your dream race, you want to run it, and there is just no way to get in. Really, like, the lotteries are just crazy. Like, you know, somebody, like, before I get in, I might be too old to be running. I might be just biking those bikes <laughs> around or something. It just seems, seems really crazy. So I don't know if big numbers are the right thing to do. I like smaller kind of races more you know like more core but uh yeah also like it's a shame when when you when you set your mind or something and you can see yourself running in that kind of environment and you, you just can't hey, scott or jason what do you think about uh, limiting size of the races or opening it up for everybody even though it's going to be a bit more congested maybe more inconvenient there's more people that get to do it what do, what do you guys thought 
I think it's all about the infrastructure, man. You know, I mean, mm. uh, people love and celebrate and are so happy about Chicago or Boston or New York. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, how, how many people are there, right? Mm. Um, yeah. you know, Leadville got got greedy, you know, a number of years back, if you guys yeah. remember. And yeah. and the aid station sucked because it, they, it, they couldn't handle it. So, I mean, and then the third thing I can think about, for instance, UTMB, that trail that is UTMB, the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, it it has people scattered like ants on it from like June to October. And so like it's kind of wide, it's kind of big, it's it's uh you know, it com- it it can it can it can accommodate those that those kind of numbers. You know, there there is some jockeying around, I'd imagine, especially the first half at some of those aid stations, but They've got the infrastructure down pretty good, and the trails can kind of support it because there's, they're already almost bike path width um, mm-hmm. for a lot of it. So I, I think that that's okay. And then also the Alps in Europe, you know, the the trail system is so much more developed where, you know, you go into a wilderness and there's only one trail for like, you know, 30 kilometers around sometimes. But that's not the case in the Alps. There's trails like spider webs everywhere. So people can, you know, die diffuse out and stuff and so like it's 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 just i think it just it's really just depends on 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 where and, and what's going on and but you know like i like you know i went from hard rock to utmb it couldn't be the more extremes and i appreciate i mean i i would say maybe my favorite is the hard rock feel but i can really appreciate the the celebration and you know kind of uh boston marathon feel of of utmb as well mm. Scott, you have some thoughts on it. You know, I my, do if you don't. You know, my 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 vote is um, very similar to what everybody else has said. Is if if the the race can handle it, um, which not not only just aid stations, but you know, some of these races, it's really hard to get your crew into some of these remote locations, and and they're you know really bad uh, dirt roads, and there's not enough parking and and all of those vehicles really have an impact on the environment and not, not, you know, just not just to mention, you know, the crews themselves trying to get there and cause anxiety. So I would think if, if, if the race is in the right place and, and the, the infrastructure is there, I say, bring it on more the better. You know, my, my thoughts after listening to everybody, I have the advantage of taking everybody's opinion and making them my own. Races like Western States, only 384 or so runners, mm-hmm. but it's it's a big, high-profile race, but just a few get in. So maybe part of it is so unique and, and, and lusted after because it's so small and so hard to get in. And if it opened up, would people really want to be in it? I think that something you can't have is something you want. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, I like what Jason said. He said, it's like Boston. You run for the experience. You do your work before you get there, and you celebrate with a victory lap called Boston Marathon. And so I get that, and I really appreciate that. And that means a lot of people, like 2,300 runners, get to experience UTMB, although it might be slow at parts and a bit congested. Mm -hmm. The guys up front are racing just fine, Mm -hmm. and they're doing their thing. And it's really the people that want to race and can race do race, so that's important. So. I like the fact that races open up, they get big. The ones that become large and congested are more celebratory. 
And if you want to race it and you think you're a racer, then you're either up front or you choose another venue. Uh, I like it that many people can get out there and traverse that that trail, that that iconic run that they want to do. So I like the Boston Marathon analogy that you you brought up. I think that's good. You know, I, I'd like to get into the personality of UTMB. Um, you know, the, yeah. we, we've talked often on the podcast that races have their own personality. And I, I really want to dive into what one of the things that Jason said. And I'm sure uh, that Mayo can can appreciate this. Uh, you mentioned that that there are people on the UTMB, the course, all year long. I mean, it's 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 a hiking trail, I assume, and people go from in the point A to point B. And and uh, is it is it a crowded trail in the off yeah. season? Well, I mean, maybe not the off season, but during the summer, the refugios are oftentimes booked you can do uh, a lot of people do it in like three or four days or or whatever as a training run and you can stay in these these huts these refugios that have food and uh bedding and, and all that kind of stuff and tons of cappuccino and coffee and whatever and uh yeah there's people i you know when i stayed there for th- three months that 2014 you know yeah it was it was really know. busy it was uh mm-hmm. it was it was kind of crazy and it's it's a it's a very popular thing before this race even happened, you know, in, in whatever year it started, 2004 or whatever it was. And, and uh, yeah, these, these huts have been there to, 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 to traverse around Mount Blanc way before the 100-miler existed. Would that, would that be something that maybe you would recommend for somebody that maybe not an elite runner, but somebody that's going and, and maybe thinking about doing this is to take one of those three-day – tours is there a guide that takes you or is it just a you know a solo thing there's companies that can help uh you know somebody coming from out of you know the europe european area to book and and make reservations for that but you can also get there locally and and kind of uh, uh, figure out what's available depending on you know the the uh, the time of the year if you're in shoulder season i'm sure it'd be a little bit better and easier I've uh, stayed in some refugios around there. I haven't stayed in the actual uh, on-the-course refugios because, I mean, a lot of these places, you're sleeping with other people that are snoring and making noise and going pee in the middle of the night. So I, 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 I've done a you know trip through the Dolomites and Altavia 1 and 2 and, and that kind of stuff, and it's refugios and love-hate kind of thing. It, it makes it so you can do day-to-day-to-day and just carry nothing. But it's also uh, uh, if you're a light sleeper, it kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other questions I've always had when I, you know, I've never been to, to Europe uh, and I've never run or hiked any of the trails over there. But I have this vision in my mind that Europeans um, don't follow the trail. I mean, it's it, it, you need to go from here up to the top of that mountain. And if you want to, you can go straight up the mountain. You don't have to do the switchbacks. It, it, is UTMB a a um, a very strict race where you have to follow a path? And what does that path look like? Is it a you mentioned a, a bike trail with some decomposed granite or crushed granite versus um, a single track? How talk to us about the trail? Let, let, let's have Bio. He's got his hands up in the air. He's ready to answer that. Bio, <laughs> tell us you've run in Europe. Well, you've run in Canada. You've run in the United States. You you address that question. Actually, 
before I moved to to Canada, that that was exactly what I was thinking. Like it's gonna be big country with the big mountains, and I just gonna run whatever I want to. Right? That was the like there is nothing just like prairies and Indians and buffaloes and me running in the <laughs> mountains, right? And then then I come here and there is fences everywhere and national parks and all that. It's just Europe. It's exactly the same. Like we we in Slovakia we have high Tatras and it's very similar to Alps but like a smaller scale and you can run to hut to hut to hut with basically just a credit card. There is even sleeping bags there so you don't really need anything. But it's very you know the trails are marked very well. But if they catch you off the trail, you need to be basically registered by some sort of a climbing association and then you are allowed to go and climb mountains off the trail. And then you basically like, you know, going down back to the trail and you're going back to the huts. And back of the days when I was really climbing a lot, we was climbing Trecime de Lavaredos, which uh, somehow we choose to be there exactly the same time when was the de Lavaredo trail, which is kind of similar to Mont Blanc, but smaller. I think it's 50 miler or so. And we was hanging about, uh, you know, above the trail on that big wall of Trechimes and looking down and all these people like ultra runners running was massive, you know, and I didn't understand back then what, what those people doing. But yeah, that was, uh, that was my experience of running back there in the Alps. I, I don't know how it is in, in uh, UTMB, but I still think it's, it's going to be pretty strict. Like you can just wander around. I'm sure that's what it is. I heard people cut switchbacks and stuff at UTMB. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know. Jason, tell us about that. You've run UTMB. Do you have runners uh, that are that are just cutting those switchbacks like Michelle said? Jason is frozen. And this is this is my opportunity to actually pass Jason because he can't move at this point. <laughs> well, I can ask my own question. Yeah, ask him a question. And let me see if I can get our stuck Jason unstuck. Unstuck. Maya. Go ahead, ask, ask Maya a question. Well, you always mentioned a few years back that Jason Schlarb is your favorite ultra runner. Why is that? <laughs> Should I say Ooh, it quickly? Let me, get, let, let me get Jason back on for this. <laughs> Should I say it? Here he comes. Oh, man, this is going to be a tough one, though. Hey, hey, Jason, we've got you back. We saw you disappeared. We had fun while you were gone. We talked about passing you, and Michelle just made a comment that said, Maya. We know that Jason is one of your favorite ultra runners, a guy you've really looked up to. Tell us about that. So you're in a tough spot right now, Mayo. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it is what it is. I'm not going to hide it, but I got a bunch of favorite people out there, you know, and Jason is definitely one of them, I guess, because uh, I see the guy having tons of fun. He's very down earth. He's open to all kind of questions. When when shit goes down, he call it how it is. When things go good, he stand up for it. He said what he gonna do. He's not afraid to have a big goals. You know, like yeah, I have respect for that, and I genuinely think he's not running on steroids because he really have the ups and upside downs like a human does. You know, it's not just one of the the people who come out of nowhere and start winning everything. He's He's been around and he's trying hard. So that's that's Jason. Yeah, man, like love. 
<laughs> and you got to have that bond with like schemo and big schemo adventures and stuff like that. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'd love to do that for sure. Let's talk some schemo, guys. Mayo too, man. Like I, you know, he wears lunas. He does ski mountaineering. He lives in one of the most my favorite places in the world. And so, like, I, I've always uh, paid attention to what you're doing as well, man. And and some of the the adventures you do really inspires me. So I appreciate that, man. <laughs> hey, hey, let's talk about schemo. And 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 if, before Scott mentions that he used to ski professionally for a living. Scott Ward, did you want me to? Throw that in there. Um, <laughs> let's talk about schemo. Is that a great cross training for for ultra trail running? Do you guys think that is again a secret weapon like the uh, like the gummy bears or whatever you might have your caffeine in your pocket? I I think it can be. I really do because it's low impact and um, it's it's uh, it's just like a different system that you're using you, and you, you, how you know even your cadence, etc, it gives the body relief, but really uh, helps you know build uh, aerobic, anaerobic, VO2 threshold, all of that is, is you know can be really good. What can also happen though is um, the the difficult thing of pretending that you're Killian, and trying to basically race all summer and then, you know, starting in December or January, all of a sudden start, you know, doing uh, a schema race every, every every week, every other week. I mean, and you can you can beat yourself down. So, I, you know, I tend to use it as a training tool and also a way to access mountains and do kind of projects. But, you know, like, for instance, I did one race last year that was like two hours at, you know, Wolf Creek here in Colorado. So I, you know, Mike Foote has gotten really, really serious into it. And he, you know, made the U.S. Schemo national team. Mm -hmm. Um, But he'll tell you himself, too, that he has to find a period outside of that Schemo racing and ultra running, you know, racing and training to to find some downtime. But yes, absolutely. But I mean. Not many people live right in the mountains that 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 can access that as easily as as maybe uh, Mayo and I. But uh, it, it certainly has been an amazing tool for me. I grew up skiing, um, but got into the skinny ski thing, you know, just a couple years ago. Hey, Mayo, talk about um, skimo and and rock climbing as cross training or being you know great uh, advantages for those kind of activities in your ultra running. Do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. But I uh, like I started rock climbing when I was six and really, really, that was my like that was my life back then, you know, like like that was just wake up, train, climb and, and dream big, big walls and all that stuff. Like we travel a lot, just did some jobs so we have money to travel, living off the truck, basically, you know, that was the lifestyle. But when I moved to here, I just didn't have a the, the right people around me and maybe the right mindset. I need to find a job, was busy and all that stuff. So it's just become more of like a family man instead of living out of truck and climbing. But anyways, uh, the, the problem is though, like I haven't climbed that much lately, so I can't really say how, how that is uh, complementing my running, like a cross training or anything. But I can tell you for sure, like if you grew up in the mountains, whatever you do there, that's definitely helpful later on when you're running in the big mountains because you better understand the mountain itself. Like the weather changes, you can suffer, you know, how to manage your your nutrition and all that stuff. Like it's just, 
you know, like people, I, I believe, you know, when you grow up in New York and you are ultra runner and now you're going in a race such as hard rock, like it's not just the running, you're going to suffer on many other, many other ways when people from mountains maybe don't have those issues, you know, like, so, so that's, that's probably where all these complement ultra runnings very well, not just from like being stronger, like a person, but mentally feeling home where you're racing, where you are. Good, good. Let's get back to UTMB because that's what this podcast was supposed to be about. Tell, Tell, tell us a bit more about UTMB, about some of the some of the things that we haven't touched on. Michelle, you had well, a ton of questions yeah, before. I mean, can, can you guys tell us about kind of like your training leading up to UTMB? I know like obviously Mayo, you're doing schemo. Jason's doing schemo. But Mayo, you're also doing, well, you can see behind you, you have fat bikes, road bikes. You're doing a lot of cycling, like doing different type of things. Also... Um, are you guys doing like long days, like on tired legs, back to back in the mountains? Like, how are you, how are you tweaking your training or what is your training looking like leading up to UTMB and what are your goals? That's a lot. You know, as far as training being specific for UTMB, uh, I, you know, where I live is, is, uh, the mountains are very, um, they're very good for that kind of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I don't think my training for hard rock versus UTMB is that much different. Uh, right. one of the challenges that I have is that I'm just so high up here that the level at which I run, uh, a, a climb is different than when I'm at, you know, 1500 to 2000 meters, you know, you know, 6,000 feet, you know, my house is at eight feet. And so therefore I go lower in the San Juans. So yes, I transition, you know, right away to kind of maybe taking the grade down a little bit, even though the the grade is, is going to be higher than, than what I'm doing at UTMB. It's because of that, uh, ability to, you know, my heart, my heart rate, and because of the, the lack of oxygen, I do yeah. a little bit more lower or not lower, but like a little bit shallower grade kind of stuff. So trying to transition to that and I try to do a little bit more running than I would, you know, for, for hard rock, but, uh, uh-huh. you know, it's not that much different. You know, my best time at, at, you know, when I did 2014 was 21 and a half hours at UTMB, yeah. um, at, at hard rock last year is 23 hours mm-hmm. and this has the same amount of climbing. So it's not that much different, but like I said, the altitude is a little bit of a factor. And I think, you know, you're, you, for the most part, you're, you're power hiking up the Hills, you know, those top 10, 20 people. And then certainly past that are, are, you know, for primarily, you know, hiking up those, those climbs, especially after, you know, 20 miles in or something. Right. And so I think one of the differences where, where it's a little bit faster for sure is is the fact that it's um, a little bit more runnable because of how well traveled the trails are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's a little bit faster because of that, too. But, um, you know, one factor that's different that maybe Mayo has an advantage in uh-huh. is that in Colorado, the weather is dry and sunny with every once in a while you have afternoon thunderstorm kind of things in UTMB, there can be a lot of mud 
mm-hmm. there can be a lot of cancels cancellations. There can be a lot of you know changing the course. You know, back before 2014, had a streak of really shitty weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think kind of being prepared for that and mentally at least, and then also just that kind of, you know, uh, the, the fact that it can be turned into a slog is different than Leadville. It's different than Western States. It's different than even hard rock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of shitty weather factor in the Alps is, is kind of something to be at least cognizant of. I don't know if I, I like how I would train for that. I don't think I'd go yeah. to the Pacific Northwest to like run in the mud, but. You know, it's just something that you have to be aware of. Some people, you know, kind of suck at at, at running in shitty weather. So I don't know how you change them. Hey, I've got to imagine (laughs) that there are some weather conditions. It gets muddy. It gets dicey. It gets gets cold or it gets hot. And all of a sudden, your fast turnover people fall back in the field. And the folks that are a bit more hardy... They can run in adverse conditions and and uh, more technical terrain are just more apt to get up front and take the lead. Back, you know, in 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 cross country and college division one, you know, like at a high level, there was a lot of people that sucked at at, you know, bad footing. You know, and, and I think it kind of fits into the category of technical yeah. running. The better mm-hmm. you are at technical, the more likely you're going to be a good runner at the shitty kind of uh, uh, weather thing, you know, mud and factors in, into that. But also, like, if you're a very skinny, thin distance runner, you know, like, uh, you know, you know, Francois and let's say get a menace who've done obviously very well, um, at, uh, UTMB, they're just a little bit hardier than let's say, um, you know, myself or, or Jim Walmsley or, or, or somebody really thin and light, you know, some of that kind of mm-hmm. can be a little bit of a factor if it gets really, really, uh, really cold and wet. Mm-hmm. So, Mayo, do you see yourself more as a fair weather runner or somebody that endures the elements? The grittier, the better. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Like, uh, since I never run it, I can't really have a schedule. Like, I have no idea where I should be, like time wise. You know, like it's, it's all much easier when you run it before and you know, like last year or two years ago, I was in this point, in this point. So when when weather turns bad, maybe you feel like you're falling behind and you're not hitting your schedule what you was predicting. But for me, it's gonna be brand new running from the start all the way to the finish. So more I can wish for it's find that flow when you have right state of mind and you're just going with it. And in general, like if I see people suffer, that make me feel a little bit more super, superhero and I can. I can you know do do better if I see people running no problem and I can't run anymore then I don't feel very good about that. But mentally, you can you can change things. If you lose legs or something, it's hard to get them back. You know, I like that mental game. I can work with that definitely better. Scott Ward, you had some great questions. Go ahead. Well, if you can hear me, I have a bad connection. I apologize. But I was, you know, I want to get back to this course thing because I just, I, 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 I hear about the Alps. Um, I'm an Alpine here and I, I know some friends that are on the World Cup, and I just hear about how beautiful it is. So, running is there? What are what is one of the biggest, most feared? Tell us a little bit about that. Because of the bad connection, I mean, Western States has Devil's Thumb, tough climb. Um, Leadville has Hope's Pass, 
difficult, 14,000 feet. What about UTMB? You know, I would say those last three climbs are dreaded by, and I, you know, when I went out to, to, to France, you know, I kind of had a mentor of Julian Choyer, who's, you know, done well multiple times and is going to be back this year too. Um, it gets hot um, over, over in that area in particular. And it's also um, just, just kind of steep and it's a little bit more technical than maybe that first half of that run in a, in, in, in a generalization kind of way. Uh, so it's kind of technical and it's kind of rocky and there's some sections that are like not that steep, but they, they're kind of poor footing. And, um, you know, it just happens to be that with this time of the start of the race, that that part section comes into the heat of the day. And that's, that's the real, that's the real gnarly one there. Uh, as far as beauty though, Val fair and Val Vinny, which unfortunately most of the top guys run in the dark it, on the Cormier side. I think that's the most beautiful stretch and the most like, a, uh, you know, wonderful. And, and I, I've, I've gone out of my way and I'm not a big run the course before the race. I kind of like to keep it a surprise and kind of exciting and fresh, but I run that section. I run that section because I know it's going to be dark. Um, and, and I kind of appreciate that, but uh, I think the race has started an hour and a half later than when I did it in 2014. Um, so maybe I will get the sunrise down in Cormier this year. I, I, that that would be kind of nice. Hey, Jason, I'm with you. You know, and, and Mayo, I saw your thumb go up. I absolutely love just being surprised by the race. You know, I like to know how many climbs are coming. You know, you have four more climbs. They're all hard. That's great. But I love knowing that I'm ready for anything yeah, at exactly. any time. You know, you've got downhills, you've got uphills, and importantly, you just stay in the moment. You know, sometimes I think it's more difficult to say 20 minutes mm -hmm. to this rock or 40 minute climb ahead. Forget that. You just stay involved with what you're doing and stay within yourself and get the job done. And and that's what I like. Just mm -hmm. not knowing what's in front of you. So tell me what color ribbons we're following, and I'm good. You 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 are as far as the, in the elite kind of guys and gals. You you're in the minority. I'm in the minority. It sounds like Mayo is as well. Um, yeah. You know when Caroline came out here, uh, you know you know what one hard rock recently. She like was anal retentive about getting out and she ran almost every mile of the course mm -hmm. and you know in a short period of time and you know you know to be honest Anna's one of my best friends the uh, female uh ultra runners she was the first year or two she was like I mean she she had a doctorate on the course and I didn't even have any clue about a lot of the section <laughs> mm -hmm. like you know the stand wands are huge I, I don't I there's too many places to run around for me to be just on this course all the time. And I want it like you said, I want it to be like, oh my God, look at this when I'm mm -hmm. kind of in a down low point, you know? And and uh but but like I like I said, I, I can I think with a, a good degree of certainty say that elites don't necessarily usually fall in that category. They're very they're very worried about specifics so much but yeah I, I i need to know how long the climbs are where the aid stations are and then the rest i'd like to avoid <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And um, I, I saw your thumb go up when I said that. Do you study the course? How well do you know it before you go out? And Michelle, I, to okay. you, do you learn the course before you go out? Because sure. you're an experienced ultra runner and you've won a lot of races. So what do you do? No, I, I'm absolutely the same. I, I like the way you, uh, you, you kind of, you know what you need to know and the rest of it is joy. It's enjoyment. It's wandering new places and and you can actually like your mind can absorb all that beauty of race or whatever going on there instead of just calculating constantly like i don't like to have that state of mind when i'm going like you know clock clock pace and all all the distances constantly so yeah this is way much more freedom way and you know if i have a good day i'm gonna run well anyway like i don't need to calculate constantly and if it's shitty day, then might as well enjoy the beauty of it and don't <laughs> don't calculate on uh, what go wrong for you. Good, good. Michelle, do you study your courses? Absolutely not. I'm on the same page with Mayo, Jason. Really? Oh, <laughs> thousand percent. I'm not going to be writing down like split times on my arm or whatever. Like looking at that stuff totally stresses me out. Like I just want it to be new and happy and just soak it in but yeah i mean you kind of want to gauge like how far the next aid is and kind of know the climbs and stuff but yeah overall i i don't want to see it i not at all no thanks okay good so you guys are actually running through towns i mean through countries and towns and for us here in america we run through some aid stations and if they're busy aid stations they can feel like a town but jason you'll have to tell us uh mayo you'll have to confirm and I guess Michelle and I will have to experience that later. But tell us about running through these towns and some of the atmosphere that you get. Uh, it, it, it's fantastic. You know, there's there's a town that you run through. I can't remember the name of it early on. And it's a, like a celebration through there. Um, you know, and, and there's there's people that there's fires that they have little bonfires and there's, you know, lots of cool things. And like into Cormier, you can kind of see the town as you're coming in, you know, and it's dark outside. That that's that's a real neat deal. And then, you know, like coming around to Switzerland, it's like, OK, what is what is this towns in Switzerland look like? And they, they are different you know champé lock is is a different feel than cormier and cormier has tons of flower boxes out and it's very italian and colorful and and uh fits those kind of stereotypes you know and 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 that that's that's really special and it's it's really really good and and i i appreciate and like that you know and you know one of the exceptions for that rule in the u.s is you know once again, Hard Rock going through Ure and Telluride, kind of going through those mountain town kind of things is is a, is a real neat, cool thing. It's just you know, it's it's nice to have diversity instead of just wilderness. Mm-hmm. You know, just looking for the next kind of ridge line or mountains. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, that's that's ninety five percent what I'm into. But it it is kind of have cool to have kind of that uh, splash of something different. And then a lot of people too, you know, you don't, you don't usually get that in the middle of the wilderness, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it's back-to-back shows here on UTMB. And I think we, we learned a lot, you know, a good preview. And we look forward to seeing what happens with Jason out there. Another triumphant return. I mean, strong, strong run last time. And you, Mayo, I mean, hey. First time visit to UTMB. How exciting. And and the rest of us that can't take that first time journey, we are all anxious to see how you do. So 
you know, maybe like Tim, we learned from just yesterday, you just go up to the front and you do a few striders <laughs> and then you back on into the front of the line like you, you're supposed to be there. You can do that, Mayo. And, you know, or like Jason, you know, show up a little bit late and just kind of make your way to the front and then change your number so you look like you're number one. Hey, I want to know one thing. Is Mayo going to run in Luna sandals? And I seem to Jason slacking the Luna sandals too lately. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I'm going in the shoes on this one. Uh-huh. I don't think I even can, if, even if I even if I want to. I'm not sure. But like Jason said, there is a variation. The weather can go bad. I don't know what's going to happen. And that would totally suck if I would put my race in jeopardy, go all the way to Europe and then freeze yeah. my toes somewhere and just sit there and, you know, race is done. Like, I don't think, like Luna, it's a great footwear, but it's some, you know, it's designed for for something. And then if it doesn't work somewhere else, you got to adapt and shoes are going to be uh, my choice. So we will barefoot shoes on this race. Sorry, sorry. It is what it is. <laughs> No, that's okay. Because I've seen you put on some Luna sandals and run the 200-mile distance. So you're not afraid to strap them on. How about you, Jason? You're What are you wearing to run UTMB this year? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I kind of like the higher cushion. Um, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been running and kind of, you know, I, I used to run for Hoka, but, uh, you know, I did the last, uh, last, uh, UTMB in, in paradigms and I, I've done, you know, hard rock and paradigms, which is kind of a road shoe, believe it or not. Yeah. But recently yeah. ultra makes this new shoe. That's a little bit in between. It's like kind of like a, 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 in between, between mid cushion and high cushion. It's like a 28 to 29, I think 29 stack height. It's called the temp. And it has a little bit more sporty last than a typical max oversized shoe. And I'll probably be wearing that, but there's a new shoe that Ultra is coming out with that I might be able to get a shoe from China sent to me that's 7.8 ounces. It's got like 32 stack height cutout traction. It's called the Duo. And Golden Harper uh, and the shoe designers have made something really super special. I might be, you might see me in that one. 7.8 ounces is pretty nice for a, a high cushion shoe. Wow, straight from China, straight down to Jason Slarb's feet and right to the Alps. That's fantastic. And I'm glad you mentioned the temp because I just ordered those from Ultra and it's a new look and a new shoe. And I'm looking for those to carry carry me through those deep miles that are coming up on this run that I'm doing. So uh, I look forward to that. I just hope I've ordered the fast color. You know, (laughs) I don't want to have sabotage myself. I just want to ask these guys, like, what's their dream finish for UTMB? What would they be happy with? Oh, boy. Well, you go first. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I. Th- this is all, always makes me feel uncomfortable. And I, I think if m- yeah. most guys, even the fastest guys and gals, don't want to answer this question, really. Well, what would make you happy? I like you all. Since I like you all, I'll be honest, you know, I mean, my heart is, uh, you know, my heart is, I want to, I want to get up there on that podium, you know, I want to, I want, I believe that's in me and, and you know, I, I feel strong at this distance and, and, you know, you know, based on hard rock last year and, you know, the time that I ran there, you know, getting under 23, 
I, I believe I can, you know, do something special. And I, I, I definitely know I'm not worn out from over racing. I don't have that kind of double thing going on. So I, I believe, you know, being up there. But I mean, with that said, every badass international American, you name it, 100 miler mountain runner is going to be there besides maybe Ludo, you know, who won last year is i mean one of the only exceptions so i mean there there's like 10 dudes that that could win almost any 100 miler in the world they're gonna all be in the one same race so that's that's tough to 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 like kind of gauge but you know that that's my goal you know be for sure being that you know top five but you know hell i'd I'd like to you know break some records and, and you know get up past that third third position for an american Boy, Jason, I was going to put words in your mouth because it seemed like you were having a hard time saying, I'm going to stand on that podium. But you know what? Those that dare to say they will can and will. And those that won't say it won't. So I'm just confident and certain and optimistic that you will be there. You've done the work. And how about you, Mike? What does a good race look like for you? Uh, Well, yeah, I'm not going to say anything big on this one. There is a competition really tough, and I'm going to be honest with myself. I have to put the goals kind of scary, but also kind of realistic. Going in the race, with which I never run before, which I have absolutely zero experience, and which uh, like probably top 30 ultra runners in the world are entering, you know, shooting for a podium or even try, I guess, would be, uh, would be really a bit unrealistic but also i want to find a flow in the race and i want to go with it and in the end of it if i did the best i could and i really do then then i'm gonna be happy with whatever happens happens you know that's kind of what i'm going for and also there is my sister living in the switzerland my family will be there so you know there is a lot of good wives what i should have helped me out finish this one really happy so I'm just going to, you know, soak it in and run my best. I think that is the right answer. As long as you're out there and you do your very best, you execute your plan, run your race, no matter what. Leave nothing left on the trail. Make sure that you've done everything you plan to do and adapt to every condition that the race throws at you. That is the key to a great race and There could be 2,200 podium finishers as long as everyone does the race that they plan to do. With that said, you guys go out there and slay UTMB and run. Moss. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. That that was great. That was a great fun podcast. Thanks. You guys, I wish you the best. Yeah, I had a great time. It's great to be able to talk with you, Mayo. It's been, you know, like I've been wanting to, to meet you or talk to you. This is the best, best so far. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, same here. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you there in a couple weeks, man. Romance going on here. Let me Woo! make a <laughs> You know, you know, I I heard that bromance <laughs> stuff in the middle. I thought, you know what, I may have to censor that out. Yeah. Hey, Jason, it's so great to have you on again. We had you on for a short moment with a ultra ad spot, but it's great to have you on a full podcast. Let's do it again. 
You bet, man. I love uh, I love doing it, man. And I was really bummed that I didn't get to answer that question about the uh, the trail use, man. Because I I think yeah I I I've, I was kind of surprised to go out to Europe and find out you know the French do not cut the trails. Um, uh, some of the Spanish is part of the Spanish kind of culture to do that a little mm-hmm. bit more. But yeah, you know. But with that said, there's a little bit more often there's like social trail. Uh, you know, switchback cutting, but it's also because, you know, the U.S. and the switchbacks are so much more gentle than in the Alps because the Alps are so much steeper. So that I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't be going on like this, but I wanted to, to add to that. That's Oops. how much excitement I have for the, answering these oh. questions and talking about this stuff, man. Hey. <laughs> hey, Jason, I'm still recording all this stuff. So if it's okay with you, I'll just keep it on the end of the podcast, kind of like some bonus content and if you're cool with it we'll just we'll just leave it here because we we love talking on trail i know one more secret weapon of schlarbs Ugh. well he does know it but i don't know if he remembers it well like i guess when he was running utmb in 2014 he just kind of like you know what told himself like I'm going to just force myself to kind of smile, force myself to laugh, and then things get better. You know, when you're down in the hole or you're feeling bad, like that's just one of those tools you can kind of grasp and be like, I'm going to smile. And like, it it kind of just flips the switch and makes it all better Mm. for a little while. Yeah, yeah, that that is a big secret weapon. And, you know, it starts with mantras. And then, you know, the laughing out loud is totally legit. Like it, it's, you know, forcing yourself to do that, man, it, it releases some chemical kind of things and energy stuff that, that happens that it, it is a super secret right. weapon. And they're like saying like, I don't care about anybody else in this race, but me helps me like get out of like the, uh Oh, you there? Yeah. There? No, yeah. How- it, it, it me get out of that. Like, stress thing or like really overly worried about oh you know this or that or my knee or you know i'm slowing down or you know those those little tools are massive that psychology yeah. is huge in the hundred or even in, in any ultra even 10k you know right yeah and so so complainers complain and people that are happy are happy yeah it's that yeah. simple and Jimmy Dean Freeman, a SoCal, Southern California runner, he comes through aid stations smiling big, high-fiving people. Just no matter how he's feeling, you would think he's the happiest guy on the planet. And I know that helps him through some of those tough miles. And it's got to give him a little bump as he cruises through those aid stations. Regardless how he feels coming in, better going out. Yeah, yeah. He, he probably runs outside of himself you know by by doing that you know that's that's amazing hey jason do you use poles for most of the race you know so i my first time i did 2014 uh no but i've become a super pole dependent guy and i'm excited i think it's uh for me and i think you know uh, being efficient with them i think it's a huge advantage i think it's a, a great deal and then also i you know the the, the the z carbon whatever ones uh black diamond along with the, the the way that i carry them is is efficient enough for me to to make it so that it's worth it you know i i, I couldn't mm-hmm. carry like uh ones that don't break down or anything like that either but so yeah i'm i'm all about the poles for sure 
Awesome. And how soon are you going over to uh, Europe? Are you going the early? The 16th, I leave. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I, I, I think that just traveling and living out of a, you know, like out of a car, like I did last year and, and, and even the camper van a couple years before and, and having, you know, Felix with me, I yeah. just want to go over there and be able to like get a, a, about it, you know, just a training week, week and a half and, and then kind of start to pull, pull the reins back a little bit. But like, right. I want to make it a low stress and not a big traveling and, and like kind of, I've seen a lot of the Alps. Now it's time to go over there for the, for the race and, mm-hmm. and uh, be home and, and, you know, until the 16th, I think is, is a good thing. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I think that that's a good combination for me. Right. When you go how- hey, so I, I have a question. What does your yeah. last week look like? You know, the question to Mayo, Michelle, and to Jason both. What do you guys look like? Do you shut it all the way down? Do you do you rest more? Do you eat more? Do you eat less? I mean, do you hydrate? What does your last week look like before your your big race like UTMB? I believe sleep is super vital and important. I don't really change how I eat at all. I definitely dial back on the runs, keep the intensity, but lower the distance and maybe just incorporate a little bit of swimming, biking. But like you don't really need to do anything week before. Like you're not going to lose anything. What about you, Mayo? What do you think? Well, in this case, I go home. I go in Slovakia, and then I'm going to travel from there via car or something. Just drive down to Chamonix, and mm-hmm. I book up hotel a little far away, probably 5k far from starting line. So I'm not living in that constant buzz of racing going on. Mm-hmm. I can go there, take a look if I want to, but it's not going to be like looking out a window from my hotel room and see people constantly running, right? Right. Because the heart rate, it's jacked up and you just constantly feeling the energy of the racer. So I don't want to be part of that at all. And it's just going to be a lot of probably walking around and enjoying espressos and uh, eating a lot of pizza and, you know, like enjoying Europe. Just soaking it all in the whole experience. Yeah, a little bit of running maybe, but short short stuff just run around explore a bit but not really training it's just kind of chill before the big race yep the last week i mean my the, the basics for me is just like i, I do like a, a countdown like i do eight seven six five four for run uh, for mileage um i don't change my eating that much i don't try to eat a whole bunch or anything or in mm-hmm. i try to keep it moderate and i don't you know like all of a sudden like two days before like like a animal or you know just like so that that's part of it i'm a light sleeper and i'm a, a stress like kind of keeps me up so the sleep is a big challenge for me but the real kind of difficult thing for me and i think this is maybe more specific to elite but i mean there's some crossover here uh the whole like you know doing press conferences going to an ultra you know athlete kind of spotlight thing and hanging out at the salon um, thinking and talking to other athletes about the race and where are the drop bags and like, what are you doing with this? It actually, it surprisingly tires the shit out of me. Yeah. Oh I'm yeah. Really, and I, I, I used right. to think like bullshit, you know, like I, I've, I'm, I can, you know, right, run 120 miles a week and do, you know, 30,000 climbing, you know, me talking and hanging out and, and going to the expo or whatever is, is not going to be anything. 
But lo and behold, like having that stress level on your mind and your heart rate kind of up, yeah. like his, it, it really kind of screws me up and it, it tires me out. And so I'm, I'm literally going to say no to some of the stuff that people are yeah. asking me to do. And I'm, you know, going to try to not be around. And I'm going to go to maybe the press conference and that's going to be about it. Like, you know, that's, I, I think that that's really important. And I think people, you know, the, yeah. the, the guy in the middle of the pack to the back of the pack, you know, if you go to the race and you start talking with all your other friends and, and like people that are around and, you know, like, you know, you're trying to visit the course, there is some like overlap there for lesson learned. I, I think that just screw that stuff, get all your stuff ready, you know, a week before and just literally try to just hang out with family or watch TV or kind of just go for little walks and small jogs and don't get caught up in the hype thing. But mm -hmm. some people come out to UTMB for the hype. So, yeah, exactly. but I think it tires you out. I, I, I don't think it's good for me at least. So Jason, are you staying there right in, in town? Like Mayo said, he's going to stay like 5k away from all that hustle and bustle and excitement, but are you staying right there? Or how are you going to like uh, keep your energy? Well, when I go, I won't stay in Chamonix when uh -huh. I arrive. I'm going to go play around Cormier and, and, and May Aosta Valley, maybe somewhere else. And then like the week of the race, uh, uh, it's really hard to find lodging. And I, I don't want to be yeah. too far away. So yeah. um, I might take advantage of the race. Ultra Trail World Tour puts up the, the top athletes at this like climbing uh, hostel place that's up oh. over by Arcantier. And uh, it, it is like Mayo's place. It, it is away from Chamonix. It's upstream from Chamonix a bit. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll stay there most likely. So no, I won't have the place overlooking the start line by no means. No, hell no. Right. <laughs> Mayo Cernick and Jason Slarb, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. And you know what? We do not want to be the media outlet that wears you guys out. <laughs> so get some rest. And thanks for this post-podcast wrap. Sometimes it's always the best. We get to talk about other things. So It always is. <laughs> Sometimes it is, yeah. Absolutely. So get out there and get some rest and join us when you get done with that race. In the meantime, thanks, awesome. Thank you, guys. Yep. I really appreciate it. Run, Moss. See you soon, Jason. Thank you. Best you of luck. Bye-bye. Thank See you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.